when you sin and when you turn from me, it's going to bring a problem. It's going to bring problems on you. And then you're going to remember me. And then I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to heal you if you humble yourself. So this is not a bad thing. This scripture has nothing to do with America. So you, people make banners. We're going to humble ourselves and pray. It's great. It's wonderful. Except that scripture has nothing to do with America. Because God has no covenant with America. God's only covenant is with Jesus. And in Jesus, God already hears us, already forgives us. All we have to do is confess and, and just do what he said to do. Now, I have to say that because that verse gets pulled out of context. And, and, and I have to say that. Anyway, 15. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to their prayer made from this place. Do you see that? For I have now chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart be there perpetually. Let me continue. As for you, if you walk before me according to your father David, according to do all that I've commanded you, if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. As I have covenant with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. Now this is very, very powerful, and I'm, I hate to say this, but Solomon failed. Solomon failed. God's promise is this. If you walk before me in faithfulness like your father David, there will always be a king on the throne in Israel. When Jesus was born, Israel was an occupied people. Jesus could have been born into a palace if Solomon would have been faithful. The choices that we make affect the future. If there was a throne in Jerusalem, in Israel, Jesus would not have been born in a manger. It's important because the decisions that we make affect the future. And I say that not to share any condemnation or not, but, but it really is true. The choices we make affect the future. Okay, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I'll uproot them from the land. Which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And will make it a proverb and a byword among all people. Do you know what happened when Jesus was crucified? He prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. That was the temple of his body. He also prophesied the fall of Jerusalem, 70 AD. That temple that he's talking about, that, 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 that the restored version of this temple, got flipped upside down and the gold from the ceiling was scraped. And that temple has never been rebuilt since. And that judgment came upon the nation because they rejected God. They rejected Jesus as Israel's Messiah. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to the land and to this house? Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods. And worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. What that means is that if we choose to put other things first, we, we willingly bring calamity upon ourselves. Never mind the devil. That's not, there's things that we do to ourselves that have nothing to do with the devil. 
<laughs> now, in chapter 8, it's going to tell you about uh, Solomon's additional achievements. I really don't want to read all that. I want to get into 9. Let's go to 9. 9. This, this, is, this is where we're going to camp out. We're going to finish here. And then after this, we're going to move through. Let me just say one thing about the history, and then we're going to get into things that are revelatory. The history of Israel is basically David becomes a high water mark. David had war so Solomon could have peace. The nation enters into a great time of peace and prosperity. And the nation never recovered from prosperity. Solomon himself said that the prosperity of fools will destroy them. They got wealthy, they forgot God, and from then on, they went through captivities, bondage, and then they became an occupied people when Jesus came. And they were absolutely dragged through the mud because of their own sin. They didn't hear the word of the prophets, they didn't hear it, and, and they, they just destroyed themselves. And, and people go, is that God doing it? No. God, God, no. God was to plant them in the land and to bless them. They did it to themselves. Those choices bring upon that those type of consequences. It's not like God is in heaven saying, I can't wait to punish them. That would be a little sick. But those choices bring consequences. Now, before they fall from this great prosperity, there's something here that I really, really want you guys to hear. This is really important. I've been talking about things that bring promotion. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't need promotion. Maybe your life is good the way it is. Maybe you like everything about your life, everything, your car, your house, your salary. Maybe you're just so happy, and maybe it's only me that needs promotion. But there are things that we position ourselves to be promoted. Humility. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. That's something. Um, there's another one when when you honor when you understand how to flow with authority when you honor people which is very counter our culture when you learn how to honor you position yourself for promotion and when you are a person of excellence you position yourself for promotion so you're going to see that there is in this story those three things happening. There is a humility, there is an honor, and there is an excellence, and it is a reflection of the kingdom of God. In a New Testament way, Jesus said, if a man asks you to walk a mile, walk with him too. What happens is, when you exceed people's expectations, you are then given the opportunity to influence them. What was Jesus saying? In those days, because Israel was an occupied people, the Roman soldiers had authority to command Jewish people to basically carry their bags for a mile. Jesus is saying, live above being a victim. Don't just carry their bags for a mile, because you have to. Carry them for two miles, because you want to. Because you're a people of promise. You have a different type of a hope. You live and think differently. You're kingdom people. You're not victims. You can't steal from me. I'm choosing to give to you. You, you, you see the difference there? So, so you're going to see something, and, and this is it. This is something I, I really want you guys to get. This, this, will, this, will, this is something. 
in our life, all of you guys are generous people, so this is not about an offering. Uh, in our life, many of us are very responsive to needy people. You see someone who's poor. You see someone who's hungry. We do a project for Puerto Rico. We're going to do something for Haiti. You guys are responsive, and you go, oh, man, they're needy. You know, your heart, you feel it. You go, yeah, like almost like if you don't help, like it's like do you have a heartbeat? Like are you alive? <laughs> you know, like people are like really suffering. You, you know what I mean? Like so, so you do that, and that's awesome. And that's powerful. Because what you do to that, you're doing to Jesus. And that's honorable. But there's another level of giving. Not a, a level of giving that is based on need. A level of giving that is based on honor. Which some of you are starting to get that as well. But this is a very important kingdom principle. In fact, let me just read. Uh, Second Chronicles... Um, Verse uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great... I don't even know that word. Uh, basically, she has a huge entourage of camels that are uh, bearing spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him all that was in her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing too difficult for Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, listen to this, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel and his entry by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. He took her breath away. But he took her breath away, not by things that are supernatural, but by things that are natural in a super way. In a way of excellence. Do you see what she noticed? She didn't notice his church services. She didn't notice a fire coming down on, from heaven. She, she didn't. That's not what she noticed. You, did you, did you, you want me to read this again? The food on his table. How the food was prepared. How the food was presented. Everything he did was a reflection of his nation of origin was not just Israel, but the kingdom of God. There is excellence on everything that he puts his hand to. I, I don't know if you're seeing this. She's observing how his waiters serve. She's observing what they wear. She's observing how there is a connection from his house to the house of God. So there's the temple... The house of God, and then there's his house, but there is a private, there is a way that Solomon himself would walk from his house to the house of God. She sees the connection. The connection is the place where heaven and earth meet. There's something different about everything that he puts his hand to. 
Now, you have to really get a vision from God. What does that mean for you? What does that mean in a barbershop? What does that mean in a restaurant? What does that mean when you write a book? What does it mean when you present something, when you're speaking? What does it mean to be excellent? Because when we're excellent, we have an opportunity to have influence that mediocre people don't get. Nobody goes up to the mediocre guy and goes, you're so mediocre, tell me how to be mediocre. You just have an average car, average clothes, you're an average person, and you're just like a little okay at what you do. You're not even good. Who wants to hear from someone like that? We don't follow guys like that on Instagram. We follow guys on Instagram who bench press 630 pounds. You, you see the point? Not someone who goes, oh, I can do 195. Nobody cares. Put six plates. I want to watch that. I want to see something above average. Because that influences me. That interests me. See, this is so important. This is kingdom. It, th- this, is, this is critical. If you want to have influence in the marketplace, you have to be excellent at what you do. You know why? You have to do what you do as unto the Lord. When you do what you do as unto the Lord, you do it in a different manner. You go the extra mile. It's not like, let me just punch a time clock and let me exist in time while I'm at my job. No, I'm doing my job to glorify God. And if I don't get that down, I'll never get promoted. And then you'll punch a clock for the rest of your life. I wish I could, but I got to work. I wish I could, but I'm a... And you don't want to live like that, trust me. But if you do things with excellence, if you go the extra mile, what you'll do is you'll position yourself for promotion. People will want to hear from you because they see, man, the way this guy builds a table, the way he builds a wall, there's something different about it. You see what I'm saying? There's something different. When I sit in his chair, I feel something different. This is, this is important. There's something about this teacher. My kid had a learning disability, but this teacher worked with him and worked with him, and now he's growing and he's progressing. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to translate this into real life. There's something, when she picks up the phone and says, hello, there's something on her voice. There's something different. When she welcomes me into the office, there's something different. That is how we gain influence. This is what, this is what, I'm sorry to say this, this is what worldly people notice. Worldly people are not interested in my church smile. They don't care about that. They want to know something different about me. Why should I listen to you? Who are you? Yeah, you on TV, click, 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 just another preacher. What's different about you? Mr. Guy with the beard, what do you got to say? You got 20 seconds, let me hear you. Spit something out. Yeah, that's, that's the world we live in. What's different about you? Her spirit, she, she was speechless. This is a very, very wealthy woman, by the way. A very rich person who is used to fine spices, gold, and diamonds. This is not some person who lives in a shack. This is someone of influence of, well, she has an entourage of camels. You know what that means? She has 18 wheelers full of spices and gold and diamonds to go ask the wisest man in the world questions. 
and there was not anything that she brought to him that he couldn't answer. What you're seeing in Solomon is the type and shadow of what we're going to see fully in Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. When he prays, fire falls. When he opens up his mouth and speaks, people listen. Jesus, many times, had an irrefutable witness upon his words. The religious people would ask him questions, and they would be totally dumbfounded with his answers to the point of being quiet. If you can get a religious person or a political person to shut up, that has to be God. Many times, people, Jesus, they ask him something, he flips it on them, asks them a question, they turn around and leave. That's the irrefutable witness of wisdom. Paul said that Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. To have kingdom influence, it's not one or the other. It's not you have answers, but, but you, you know, you're not powerful. It's when you pray, things happen, and when you speak, God is speaking. This is really powerful. This is what we need. Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God, and wisdom is what makes power sustainable. When you go outside, what do you see? You see power lines. And you know what those power lines are coated in? Rubber. You know why? Without that rubber, they're not, it's not, it's not going to rust. It's not going to be any good. And it's done. So the power is not enough. You need wisdom. Because wisdom makes power sustainable. This is something that's very critical if we're going to have a witness in the world. Then she said to the king, It was true, the report which I heard about you in my own land, about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of your greatness of your wisdom was not told me. In other words, they didn't exaggerate who you are. You have exceeded my expectations. You know, we have to move from, because I know that, let me just say something. I'm going to really shift for a second. Many of us have real questions. There's people here who have questions. There's people watching. You've been through things and abuse and and trauma and, and hellish, all kinds of things. And to ask where was God and what happened and why, there's nothing wrong with that. God wants to answer those questions. God wants to bring healing. God wants to touch you in places so deep that hands can't get. The Holy Spirit can move into any broken place and bring healing to every memory, to any pain. He can touch. There's nothing that God can't fix. All right? So I'm not minimizing pain or struggle. But I am saying that God is so committed to us becoming like Jesus that not only does God want to heal the pain, heal the past, heal the struggle, heal the memory so there's no more sting on the memory. God wants to fully heal that thing. Not only does he want to do that, but he wants to give us um, this... He wants to bring us to a place of maturity where our questions are answered, and now we are the ones answering the questions. When, when we mature, it's, it's okay. Like, you come to the Lord, you're new. Man, you have a million questions, man. Ask those questions. But God is looking for us to grow up and to be mature so that when the world comes to us with questions, there's not anything that they throw at us that we can't handle. God wants his people to have wisdom like that. I've heard people that have wisdom like that. I've heard people that you sit and you bring anything to them and they will eat your questions up. I've heard, I've watched when N.T. Wright was at Google and they said, well, what about gay marriage? And he didn't answer. He didn't answer. 
hatefully, rude, and he didn't even answer what. He answered why. He said, in the beginning, male and female, and he explained the story of God. And that person at Google closed their mouth, sat down, and the question was over because he wasn't being rude, he wasn't being judgmental, he was showing them what marriage reflects and the purposes in it and behind it and what it's actually a testimony in it and what it's testifying about. And that man sat down and was like blown away. See, God wants to give us this type of wisdom where when people have genuine questions and serious concerns, we don't just dismiss it and say, you just need faith. No, you just need wisdom. You're getting what I'm saying? So God wants to move us from, why did this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen, right? God wants to move us from those places of pain to a place of healing, to a place of healthy maturity, where now we're the ones who carry wisdom to answer the questions, the hard questions. And if you, and if you talk to people, people have really serious hard questions that if you don't have God's wisdom you're not going to have an answer for you and you don't have anything to say and then swing and a miss someone wanted to know but our ear wasn't open to the Lord we haven't put in time so we have nothing God wants us to mature into a place where we have this type of wisdom alright let me continue uh, You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed uh, be the Lord your God who delighted in you. Watch what's happening. I don't know if you're seeing what's happening. This is a heathen. This is a heathen. You guys, some of you have been in church, you know that word. That's like a sinner. You're like a big sinner, capital S. This is like a heathen rich person having a revelation about God. Because Solomon was carrying his wisdom. And it was reflected in everything that he did. What his servants wore. How he spoke. How they presented food. How they served food. How he got to the house of God. Everything that he did that seemed natural was testifying of something greater than himself. Watch her revelation. I want you to listen to this. Blessed be the Lord your God. Now she's, this is not a Christian. She's blessing God. She's saying blessed be your God. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you. Now she's understanding that God delights in Solomon. How did she get that? By what his servants wore. By how they presented food. By how they served food. Are you seeing that there's something natural that's testifying of something supernatural? This, this, is, this is, okay. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne, now, here you have a heathen again who understands that Solomon is not sitting on his throne. He's sitting on the Lord's throne. She understands the Lord delights in him. Why? Because he doesn't do life how other people do life. There's something different about him. When people encounter us, they should encounter something different. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you setting on his throne to be king for the Lord your God because your God has 
loved Israel. Now she understands that God loves his people because God has chosen someone and given that person wisdom. Now she's coming in contact with love through wisdom, through excellence. I don't know if you're... If you're I want you to see her eyes have been opened to kingdom. That throne that he's sitting on is not his. This is what she's seeing. This is critical. This is what people see. Because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, the Lord made you king over them to do two things. Justice and righteousness. You know what the foundation of God's throne is? Righteousness and justice. Righteousness is to be in right standing with God. Justice is to be in right standing with people. If I love God, I will treat you right. If I love God, I will ascribe dignity and honor and value to people created in His image and likeness. Irregardless of their status, irregardless of their color, irregardless of who they are, irregardless of what they can do to me, because they bear His image, I give them dignity and honor. Now here it is, verse 9. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now she has something that is exclusive. I don't know if you're seeing this. Excellence and exclusive. Something that is exclusive. There has never been spices like this. She has something that is special. Something that is unique. Something that is different. Who is she interacting with? Someone who everything that he does is like that. Just just stick with me. We're going to be done in a few minutes. Ten. Also the servants of Haram, the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir, brought algum wood and precious stones, and the king made walkways of the algum wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also harps and string instruments for singers... And there were none such as these seen before in the land of Judah. Now King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba, watch this, all she desired, whatever she asked. Listen to this. Much more than she had brought to the king. In other words, she left with more than what she came with. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. She turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now, she came to him to hear his wisdom, and she came loaded with gifts to give him. She left with more than what she came with. That's kingdom. But there's something interesting here. Now, because of her posture, she does not give to Solomon because Solomon has some sort of a need. This is a gift of honor. Do you see that? There's a mutual honor. It's not need. This is a higher level of giving. This is not someone needs a water filter. They live in a shack. That's wonderful. If you don't give to them, check your heartbeat. This is something different. This is something that it takes, a, it takes revelation to see this. Because you know what people say? They're good. They don't need nothing. I'm not going to give them anything. I know that's why you're going to leave with what you came with instead of more than you came with. See, that's why the eyes of people have to be open to honor because honor is something different. When you move in that that level, it becomes less. 
less about needs. That's a low level of living. I got to get my needs met, my needs. Listen, that's a low level. There's a higher level of living in the kingdom. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up in, in just a minute. Give me one second. I don't know. Let me, let me just say one thing that, that I think to me is very interesting. It's very profound. And, and I think that this is something f- from, from the Queen of Sheba. I, I don't know if you caught this, but she brought special wood. Did, did you see that? Where were we? We're in verse uh, 11. A special wood, an expensive wood, a rare wood. She brought that wood... And so Solomon said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use this wood to put it in the entranceway from my house to God's house. So the thing that she was struck and breathless about, he let her contribute to. Now, this is important. You have to remember she's a pagan. She's a heathen. She doesn't really know God. She's seeing the kingdom and she's seeing God and she understands that God loves his people and God delights in his king and that Solomon is sitting on a throne that's actually not his. And so there's, there's something happening in her heart and Solomon goes, okay, I'm going to take that rare wood. I'm going to take your sacrifice. I'm going to take this gift that is rooted in honor and I'm going to do the most valuable thing I can do with your honor. I'm going to take your wood. I'm going to create instruments from your wood that have never been before. And those instruments are going to go in the house of God. And you're going to be a part of Israel's worship. You're going to, be, you're going to get brought into something that you're not allowed to be in. I don't know if you know this, but in, in the ancient times, there was women were not allowed in the temple. Women and Gentiles were not allowed in the presence of God in the temple. They had a little outer room. There was a wall of partition. They were not allowed there. So through her gift, she got to be a part of something that she wasn't even allowed to participate in. Sometimes God allows our resources to participate with something that our hands can't even touch. See, this is, I don't know if... if, if you're, if you're catching this, but I think that what is profound about this is that there is a greater and a deeper meaning to how we do what we do. It actually says something not just about us, but actually it says something about who we serve. It says something about God. I mean, I, I don't know if, if, this, if this is moving to you, but to me, I mean, just for me, right, She's really rich and she's very observant. She's got a lot of questions. God is doing something in her life. She looks at Solomon and realizes that God delights in him. Could, could you imagine where you do life in such a way that people look and go, God delights in you. I want, I want people to see that. What about you? Could you imagine, this is like, imagine like someone outside looks at you, not a Christian, and goes, the one true God delights in you. Where, how did you see that? Oh, through the, through the way you serve food, through the way you present food, 
through what you're wearing, through how you carry yourself. Oh, so you got a revelation of God through how I behave? Yes. Do you see? When we reflect the kingdom, his values and virtues, people see the king. She realizes that God loves Israel because he gave Israel a good king. And the intentions of God were for that king to do righteousness and justice, for him to be in right standing with God and to be in right standing with people. You're going to see that it talks more and more about his wealth and some of the things that he did. And then at the end, he dies. This idea of wisdom and power is is very critical because there are people in life who don't need power. I'm not sick. I don't need you to pray for me. But I have questions. I need answers. My money is not giving me answers. I got money, but I got an incurable disease with a year to live. I need power. I need God to step in and do something or I'm done. The need for us to not be one or the other, to be both and, is critical. That is to be kingdom. We need fire to fall on our prayers, but we need wisdom to come from our mouth. We need Jesus to be formed in us because Jesus is the wisdom and the power of God. He is everything that the nations are seeking. He is the answer to all of their questions. And when we do life, even if it's not natural, if it's not supernatural, there should be something super about it that tells of who he is. There should be something very, very different about how we carry ourselves. And what I'm not saying is... I'm not, I'm not preaching materialism in the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm speaking about something that is deeper. Because there are people who have lots of nice things and lots of nice cars. That they are performers, but they wouldn't know what excellence is if it smacked them in the face. Because excellence is a spirit. Excellence is not a performance. Daniel was of an excellent spirit. Excellence is not a good performance. It's deeper than that. Money in and of itself is not able to produce what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is deeper than money. It's only produced by kingdom. Something very different. Because you could hear this and go, maybe I should just dress nicer. That's fine and that's better than not dressing nicer. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about something different than that. I'm talking about a spirit of excellence that goes the extra mile, that turns the other cheek, that blesses those who curse you, that prays for those who use you. That, that's, that's a different thing. All right. We're going to get into a spirit of excellence in Daniel. You're gonna, you're gonna, that's, that's something. Who, Daniel, uh, he, he, was not, he was not defined by what happened to him. He was castrated. His parents were killed. 
he could have been bitter and angry. And instead of being bitter and angry, he walked blamelessly before God. And he was used for the purposes of God. He could have chose to have a chip on his shoulder. Parents were killed. His nation was taken. He was taken captive. They changed his name and cut off his private parts because no people who stood in the presence of the king or was in his palace was allowed to touch the women. So any men that stayed there were castrated. So not only was his family or his past destroyed, his future was destroyed. No children, no legacy. In the Bible, that's, that was more uh, of an issue than nowadays. People choose not to have children because maybe they can or some people view it as it's an in- children are an inconvenience. The Bible says they're a blessing from the Lord. But Daniel could have really been angry and bitter. But instead of being bitter, he was blameless. And again, God testified of himself through someone who positioned his heart correctly. He honored a heathen king. And we're going to get into Daniel. He called someone your majesty who was responsible for killing his family and taking his nation captive. People of the kingdom do not live from what has happened to us or what didn't happen for us. We live differently. We're free. I don't know if you know this, but we're freed men. We've been forgiven. We can forgive. We're free. If I don't forgive, the only person I hold hostage is myself. If I don't forgive, the only thing I hold up is my future.